Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Lost and Lifting Talk. Today, we have Alex joining me for another Q&A session that we're going to hop into. The questions that we have today are all coming from um, the link that's always down below for you guys, lostandlifting.com backslash podcast to where you guys can go and you can submit all of your questions. So we have questions today from Crystal, Maria, and Chad um, that are personal questions about their specific situations that they're facing in their current fitness journeys at the moment. So we're going to hop into those here in just one second. Like I said, if you guys have questions, go down below, click on that link, leave those questions for us. They shoot right into my inbox directly. We'll bring those questions onto the show if we feel like they'll be useful for others. And um, we'll answer those questions for you. But before we get started into this, Alex, how are things going for you, man? Things are going well. That's finished up a morning workout. Had a typical bro sesh, some arms, Nice. Straight arms. Yeah. It's a straight old. I haven't done an arm it, session it, forever. It's supposed to be arms and quads. So it's supposed to be a little bit of arms in the beginning and then finish off some hack squats and leg extensions. But my like left lower back, like it almost, it almost feels like it like caught a nerve or something where it's kind of just like pinching a little bit. And so any type of like squatting variation just, just presses down on that. So mm. I just took the leg part out and just did, you know, a little bit of this four or five arm exercises got in, got out. And so now I came back home, ate a little bit and now I'm here. Nice. I always watch your stories and, uh, like with your, your training, you do a good job at, um, at just capturing all of your training and whatnot, but your split always seems so odd just in terms of like, it's very individualized to your specific situation, right? You're still working with, um, Cody, Cody, right. Yep. From N1. So how, how did you guys go about creating your split? Because like I said, like it's, it's very non-typical, right? Like it's not like a push pull leg or an upper lower or full, or I guess it's kind of a full body in a way, but it just seems so random how everything's put together. But I know that it's not random because I know how those guys do things. Like there's a purpose behind everything that they do and, and reason for it. But what, what does your split look like? Is it ever changing? Is it like, how did it come to be? So Right now, we are doing what is known as a sarcoplasmic hypertrophy program, which, you know, they kind of have all those like, well, we like, it makes sense to us, but like to the listeners, they don't know like mechanotransduction and neurological hypertrophy and all those different things. But essentially, each different phase is going to serve a different purpose and each different phase is going to take a different amount of recovery time for each said muscle group. And so something that we look at is it's almost divided based off how, like how big the muscles are and the systemic effect of that muscle. So the three blocks kind of main groups of um, kind of training through N1 are just going to be the neurological, the hypertrophy or the yeah neurological hypertrophy and metabolic. 
neuro, so neurological is going to be like, you could almost say that that's strength, strength training, yeah. right? Just like, like strength, lower, like lower reps. Mm -hmm. And so and then, right now, so, and then hypertrophy. Yeah. So that second, so let's just go over those three. So yes. the first phase is like neurological, which would be like strength training, basically lower rep ranges, heavier weights. The second phase was like a hypertrophy you said, which is mm -hmm. going to be probably like six to 15 ish rep range for the majority of your work, like moderate weight, still pushing close to failure. And then the, the last phase is um, metabolite phase. Is that what you said? Yeah. Metabolic metabolic. So that's going to be like metabolic is always obviously going to be like much higher reps, um, like probably 12, 15 plus reps on the majority of your work. Is that fair to say? So actually they do metabolic work differently. So they, they always do off, everything differently. So, like they confuse the crap out of me. So, so they go off muscle length, not length. rep range. Okay. So hypertrophy, you're going to want to create more muscular damage. So things like RDLs, squat variations, lunges, you like know, length presses, and positions. So like you're saying like positions. more length and position movements. Yeah. So that's going to be kind of more kind of biased in the hypertrophy phases. Okay. Exercises that work more of the shortened position are going to be more kind of uh, metabolic kind of style focused, you know, less kind of damaging, great, less damaging. And, you know, it's going to be utilizing kind of more of that. It's kind of like that instant energy versus that, like I said, the breaking down that muscle. So you're not going to be as sore from that type of training. And yeah. so with the sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, it's almost like a mix between hypertrophy and uh, metabolic. And so this, this, I'm getting to like, why am I split set up the way I am? Uh, or like why, what getting, I'm getting to why my split is set up the way it currently is, but what I'm currently doing is a mix between hypertrophy and metabolic. And so what I want to do is stay away from kind of neurological systemic style training, okay? which would be like low reps, um, low reps, systemic, like big weight. compound moves, like pull-ups, hack squat, like those bigger kind yeah. of you know, this, you know, more compound style movements, not necessarily so bias towards like a specific muscle per se. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do when I'm creating a phase like that is I want to make sure that the muscles I'm training on a specific day aren't going to be too systemically taxing. So you think of like the legs, like quads, big muscle group mm -hmm. back, like, like your lats, big muscle group. So they take those muscles, go off like the systemic effect they have while training them and divide them up to be on different days. So one day isn't too systemically taxing because what's going to happen after this phase is I'll probably move into a neurological systemic phase. And so they use a term called trainability. The longer you've been out of a certain style of training, the more trainable you are in that specific style of training. Which trainable would just mean like the better maybe the longer you'll be able to stay in it or the better results you're going to get from it or both more kind of, kind of both. So like someone, someone doing like F45 or interior training just stuck over and over and over. You can only beat that same style of training for a certain amount of time before your body starts to adapt. Yeah. And to where it's just, you're going in and you're basically just main, maintaining the progress that you've created. Mm -hmm. So, so I'd say like four to six weeks, like we do our program programming phases in like four weeks, typically. And we've kind of switched it up a little bit, do something a little bit different. And that's kind of what the trainability is kind of all about is just like, let's not tax the same 
system over and over and over again. So when you're moving from phase to phase, how can we bias one of training without dipping into like all three? Interesting. Super. Like it's such a different way to go about it because then like, I know a lot of guys, including myself for a long time, like I was my training, I programmed for a really long time in terms of like putting all three into a program, right? Like the first part of a program was more of like the neurological stuff, like more strength training type stuff with like a big movement in a squat, a bench, a deadlift, something of Mm -hmm. of that nature. And then moving into accessory work, which would be the hypertrophy work, more of like the six to 15 rep range. Right. Um, it was just with, with, accessory style of movements thinking of like if i was doing a squat squat then maybe it's an rdl or a split squat off the back of it if i was doing a bench press maybe i was then going into like a dumbbell press or like a shoulder press um and then at the end like the metabolic or metabolite work would always be like for the smaller muscle groups of like arms or like mid delts or rear delts or whatever it may be or calves in that those higher taxing rep ranges if that makes sense and these guys take i don't necessarily i train like I program some like that with like, when I get clients to come in that have specific strength goals, but also want to be able to build muscle, I'll kind of throw both in together a little bit, but anymore, I don't really program that way as much. It's much more just like hypertrophy based. Um, and then every once in a while I'll throw in like a neurological phase as it's needed, like a a strength phase or like a, even like a functional training style, um, phase as needed, like just to switch things up and give people a little bit of a different feel for a little bit of time before we come back to the meat and the bread and butter of the hypertrophy training, which is going to help them change their overall body composition the most. Right. So super interesting how they go about it. They take such a different thought process as they put, put their programming together as opposed to anybody else in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I'll say in the, so like right now, like my, my, uh, my split it's shoulders, uh, back or shoulders, lats and chest on one day, it's arms and quads the next then I'm off and then I have a hamstring glute and calf day, which is that third day. And I go back to workout one. So I do the same workout twice in one week and like the next week I'll hit workout two twice, you know, the next week, but that's kind of you know, how it's kind of currently split up. So and it's only three, three days, three different training or three or four training sessions, three, three training days, but four times a week. So I always end up sure. doing one of them twice, but it's, it's just three, three different days. Yep. So what I've also noticed this kind of this within this, just with the way Cody programs, I mean, I've done the same exercises over and over and like they stay very, very similar, but what changes is the order that they're put in within that mm-hmm. workout, the split that I'm doing. It's like, so I'm not always doing like arms and quads. I'm not always sure. doing, you know, it's kind of switches up a little bit. Like sometimes I do hamstrings and delts together. So, you know, it, it's just been totally different. It's kind of just, you know, phase to phase. But what, he, what he's changing is he's changing the effort and the intensity on the sets. He's changing the tempo where I'm biasing each specific movement and where those are put in, you know, and that's also the rest periods too. So that way I'm getting a new training stimulus each block, but I'm able to watch myself progress on, you know, I do RDLs leg curls, leg press, glute bridges on one day, cable curls, uh, tricep extensions, uh, hack squat leg extension on uh, the, the second day, lateral raise, 
lat pull down, cable row, chest press, and cable fly on. You know, they're, so they're all very like you know what we consider like basic movements. Yeah, and that's all I've done for the last six seven months, just biasing it. You know, through different ways of programming. Are do you get bored with the same exercises? Like, are, are you craving to do different movements at this point? Like, I know that's something for me. Over time, I like to have. I don't need a ton of variety, but I got to have some variety and how they're switching up intensities and tempos. Is that enough to keep you engaged? Or like, are you to a point now? It's like, okay, I could use some different exercises. For me, it's different. Like it, I'm not saying that those are the only ones that I do, but it's I'll like the same 20 to 25 movements are always just kind of just cycled through mm -hmm. within the programs. And to me, like the switch in tempo, the switch in intensity, the switch in, um, you know, rest periods, this, you know, different splits like to me like that's enough of a difference from phase to phase especially because i just like seeing like if i'm doing like if i'm always doing hack squats i like being able to say okay i did four plates you know this week a month from now can i get to five plates can i get to six plates? and i like being able to see that progression if i'm doing goblet squats safety bar squats barbell squats hacks but i don't know when i'm progressing this this is also yeah. different true so I, I i really like the way it's kind of set up I, like i've been with them for I want to say like six, seven months now. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's super cool. We'll, we'll continue to, to dive into that and document your training over the, the next few months as we're, as we continue to do these shows, but let's hop into these questions that we have today. You ready to, to dive in? Ready. All right, cool. Question number one comes from Crystal. She asks, I absolutely love the podcast. What resources would you recommend for people who want to learn the science behind body recomposition. I've lost 67 pounds in three years, and I'm now attempting my first lean bulk. Any suggestions in reading material, courses, podcasts, et cetera, would be greatly appreciated. So I am going to stick with reading sources. Okay. Um, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't really follow a whole lot of, like I see body recomposition stuff on Instagram, but it's just kind of always spread across, you know, I don't know any, any accounts specifically based off kind of body recomposition, but if you know any, obviously kind of feel, feel free to kind of add on to what I'm, uh, what I'm throwing in. But my first book is going to be the diet adjustments manual by Andy Morgan. And so this was actually a super, super interesting book. I don't know if, do you, have you heard of Andy Morgan before? Yeah, I, I really like Andy Morgan's work. He he runs the company ripbody.com yeah. um, or the website ripbody.com, the company ripbody. Um, yeah, I really like Andy. I'm familiar with his work. He he was also a, a co-author on the um, nutrition and strength pyramid books with okay. Dr. Eric Helms. So yeah, I know a lot about Andy. Perfect. And I'll say, so his, his book, just kind of give you a brief little rundown of what what that covers it's why people fail to gut to cut bulk or recomp a visual guide to body fat percent how to quickly cut in bulk how cut and bulk cycles look why adjustments are needed why fluctuations in weight and appearances happen how to track progress how and when to take diet breaks how to correct your initial calculations why we care about mid-diet adjustments how to make mid-diet adjustments when cutting how to, mid, how to make mid-diet adjustments when bulking, our primer on transitioning between diet phases, transitioning to maintenance, and then transitioning to a bulk, transitioning to a cut. And then he has about 30 pages of just, just client examples. So- That's a book? 
That's a book. What's it called? The Diet Adjustments Manual. Okay. So yeah, that sounds super simple. Have you read the nutrition? You've read the nutrition and strength pyramids. I had you yeah, read, you had me read those when you, when I first started with you. Yeah. Um, the nutrition book on that is similar to that. It's not quite the same because it talks a lot about, um, it, it has a lot of other factors in the, the nutrition and strength pyramids book, but it's similar to that. But everything you just mentioned there, I would, I, I always recommend the nutrition and strength pyramid books just because I think they're a great starting point for people. But I would say with the topics you just mentioned there, that that's a much better starting point for your nutrition in re, like regards to body composition. That's a, that's a good, I'm going to get picked that up, honestly, yeah. just to be able to read it. I'll say that's been one of my favorites that I've just kind of gone through. Like I said, if you read through page one, all into the end, I mean, that could be, if you have the consistency and accountability to stick with it on your own, that will teach you just about anything you need to know to get to where you want to be through cutting, bulking, maintaining, making adjustments, diet breaks, all those kind of different things there. So that's my kind of favorite book. And then second one is going to be um, Jeff Nippert and Christopher Bearcat. Yeah, they, they have, have a, a book together, mm-hmm. The Ultimate Guide to Body Recomposition. Another super interesting, super in-depth, just goes over everything that you need to know in terms of just setting up your own recomp phase, what to expect, how to set it up, what to look for, how to know if you're progressing, all these kind of different things. And then last book I'm going to throw in there. Um, I'm not sure if, you, if you've read this one before, but it's called Protein by Alan Aragon. I haven't read it. I, I know Alan Aragon very well. I, I'm super familiar with his work, but I haven't read his book. No. So this one isn't specifically like body recomp, but goes through like anything that you would have questions about in regards to protein and is a how to optimally include that when to include it. It's like just how to utilize it to get the best results possible when it comes to muscle gain, dieting, recomp, anything along those lines just it's it's literally just the whole book's about protein interesting and so it's yeah pretty interesting there those would be kind of my three um kind of main choices i know you always recommend the uh nutrition and strength kind of pyramids as kind of starting books i'm curious if you have any kind of accounts or anything that you follow or courses in terms of body recomp so just in terms of body recomposition by itself there's not really like one that sticks out to me in terms of like accounts that I follow. That's, that's straight about body recomposition necessarily. I've learned about body recomposition from a lot of different people over the years. Um, but I can't think of anybody in specific. Like one thing that I'll say, if your goal is body recomposition, like one of your main goals is going to be to, to build muscle, which means that you're going to want to be training, um, to bias hypertrophy, which just is, is building means that you're building muscle necessary essentially. And so you're going to want to train in a hypertrophy fashion. And a lot about what me and Alex talked about before, like that's getting pretty into the weeds and pretty in depth with how his training is. I don't think you have to get quite that in depth to see really good progress and create body recomposition. Um, but I think that, that like, if you fall, I would follow along to N1 education online. There's some, there, are, um, that's who Alex is working with currently and getting his programming done through. I've learned so much about exercise selection through those guys, as well as my own programming. I get done through, um, Paul Carter, who is lift run bang one on Instagram as his account. And he does a lot of really, really helpful, um, posts just in terms of 
exercise execution and biomechanics and why it's so important to be selecting or smart and intelligent exercises for an, a hypertrophy style of training if you're wanting to maximize your time. So on, on the training side of things, I would 100% make sure that you're following those couple of people or those couple of accounts. Those are accounts that I always keep my eye on. Like whenever I'm on Instagram, just kind of looking around, I always find myself going to the search tab and searching up those two accounts just to go and pick up new little nuggets in terms of training and things like that. So I would definitely start with those two accounts in terms of the training. And then I'm just going to be super biased here in terms of the nutrition. We talk in our Q and A's and I've got podcasts on this. We talk about body recomposition and cutting and bulking all of the time. So I honestly think in the feedback that we've got from here, one of the best places you can go is just to look back through all of our old podcasts and um, look at the topics and see what ones correlate with your specific situation in, in your own body recomposition and make sure that you're listening to those shows. And then if you ever have questions or anything you need help with, as I always say, lostlifting.com backslash podcast, you can ask any questions there. And I'm more than happy to help you guys with anything that you have going on. So that's where I would start, but also Crystal, I just want to say thank you because you gave me a really good idea here um, for another podcast subject that me and Alex can dive into maybe in a couple of weeks. And we'll do a full on episode, just going over body recomposition and everything about it and what you need to know, kind of almost like what Alex just mentioned with Andy Morgan's book. We'll kind of dive into not all of those topics. Obviously I'm not just going to go rip off what he's already done, but we'll take our our shift and our perspective on body recomposition and make a full tutorial guide in terms of a, a podcast episode for you to be able to come through and, and listen to, and then ask any questions that you have at the end of that as well. I'll say you, you just reminded me too. Um, so I gave book suggestions, podcast suggestions. Jeremiah has a ton of good podcasts on all things, muscle building, fat loss, training periodization, nutritional periodization, Super, super interesting topics. And he has really good guests on all the time. So that is, I believe, the Living Lean podcast. And I know you kind of frequently hop on there for Q&As too. So yeah. another podcast to kind of- Yeah, 100, 100%. You guys listening, um, you're all very familiar with Jeremiah. He comes on the podcast all the time. And his podcast is always linked um, down below whenever he's on an episode with me. So if you scroll back, you'll see his name pop up everywhere. He comes on my show all the time. I go on his show all the time and he does a really, really good job. Shout out to Jeremiah because his content is impeccable. He does a great job with his content. He puts a lot of work into it in terms of the podcast that he does, the living lean podcast. And then he has a blog as well to where he spends a crazy amount of time and puts a crazy amount of resources into his blog on his website. And he has a lot of, of different stuff on body recomposition. So you can search him at, um, it's just Jeremiah bear on Instagram and you'll be able to get to his website. You'll be able to get to his podcast. If you go into his podcast. Like I said, you'll, you'll hear a lot of episodes that are with me on there and then you can go into his blog and he has a ton of information as well. So I think that gives you guys a, a ton of resources outside of us. Um, that you can go to and you can really learn about body recomposition. But again, this podcast has a ton of that information. So go through, listen to the shows um, that are relative with the um, titles that are specific to your situation. And then again, we're always here to answer questions for you. So if you've ever got something that comes up or you're stuck or you're not sure how to make an adjustment, um, go to lostniffing.com backslash podcast. And we're more than happy to help you in any sort of way that we can. So um, with that, I think that's pretty extensive, man. Let's move into the next one. So we're going to go to Maria. Her question, this is a, a common one that I, that I get all the time. So I think this is a good one to answer. I recently discovered the podcast and have been binge listening to catch up. My question is, as far as fat loss, as far as fat loss goes, is a calorie deficit, hang on, I can't even read my own handwriting. 
is a calorie deficit received as the same as the body as calorie calories burned, meaning my maintenance is 1500 calories. Will I achieve the same result if I ate a thousand calories per day as I would if I ate 1500 calories per day and burnt an additional 500 through exercise? Thank you. I know like the wording's kind of messed up there, but do you understand what she's asking? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're asking. That's and actually I was reading through that. I was like, huh, I never, I never like really like, like I've thought about it before, but I've never really taken, taken, taken time to kind of like look into it. Um, I do find it like to be like a very like fascinating question. And so immediately when I read that, a few things kind of popped into mind when it comes to subtracting 500 calories versus doing 500 calories of cardio. The first thing that popped into mind is how are you knowing that you're burning 500 calories from cardio? Because any sort of like machine, Apple Watch, Fitbit, they're all going to be pretty darn inaccurate when it comes to calories expended. So a lot of times people think, oh, I just worked out and burned 800, 900 calories. When in, like, if you look up like research on how inaccurate they are, I think it's like over, over 50% inaccuracy. Mm-hmm. So that would be kind of my first thing. Just like, you're going to have a hard time knowing exactly how many calories you're burning. But a second thing too, is if you're always doing the same style of cardio, say you're doing an inclined treadmill walk or elliptical, whatever it is, and you're doing the same speed and you know, the elliptical machine says, oh, you're burning 500 calories. The longer you do that same style of cardio, your body is going to learn to preserve more energy from that same style of cardio. So what was once 500 calories might eventually, you know, a month from now be 300 calories and like you have no idea. You get more efficient. Your body gets more efficient. The third thing that comes into mind is also with the way different foods are digested and how many calories your body burns digesting different foods. So protein is going to have what is known as like the highest thermic effect of food. Like your body's going to burn the most amount of calories digesting through protein. So depending on your protein levels, how many carbs, how many fats you include in your diet, that also is going to play a factor in how your body like loses fat. So a super interesting study was actually done. And Paul Carter talks about this a lot, but your body actually has a very, very hard time storing protein as body fat when you mix that with resistance training, like people were overfed, just super, super high protein and very little fat, if any, was actually like put on. So those three things kind of all pop into mind, but to answer the question, I, I'm going to say nutrition has more of an effect on fat loss overall. Cause I find when people try to get so much cardio done, you're going to compensate for that later on in the day, meaning the more calories you burn from a specific cardio, your body's going to find ways to preserve that same energy later on throughout that day. 100%. I think looking at it and asking this question is almost kind of backwards, to be honest. Like I, I get how you come to the question because a lot of people do, but what I like to do, like to, to factor in, okay, where, where is my maintenance calories at? I'm not looking at, okay, where am I, where's my maintenance level of calories at without exercise? And I'm going to add exercise on top of that. I'm looking at, okay, 
first off, like I want to make sure that I'm eating a sufficient amount of protein every single day, just like Alex said. So usually somewhere between like 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of lean body mass is how I like to go about that calculation. You can go off of body mass or lean body mass. Typically we're working with people that not always, but a lot of times are a little bit higher in body fat levels. So I'm usually going off of lean body mass for those types of individuals, people who are already relatively lean, we're usually going off of, of body weight. So that's kind of the difference there, but making sure that you're around like 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of lean body mass for the majority of people, making sure that you're, you're aiming for somewhere between like six to 12,000 steps per day, depending on your lifestyle, your job, what does that look like? Making sure that you're getting in anywhere from three to five strength training sessions per week. And then from there, we figure out where, where your maintenance level is at those numbers for the vast majority of people, your maintenance is going to be above 1500 calories. If you are strength training three to six times, three to five, three to six times per week, getting that six, 12,000 steps and your protein is, is relatively high. Your maintenance level is going to be above 1500 for the vast majority. If it's not, I would argue that you should probably take some time reverse dieting and spending some time optimizing your home, your hormones, optimizing your metabolic rate to put yourself in a position to where your maintenance is in a higher spot. And then from there, as you're consistent with your training, you're consistent with your protein intake, you're consistent with your steps from there, as we find where your maintenance level is at with those lifestyle factors, um, included. Now we go find where your deficit is at, right? Maybe you're maintaining on 18, 19, 2000 calories, 1800, 1900, 2000 calories per day. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Now, if we want to create a deficit off of that, we're going to bring you down maybe to like 15, 16, 1700 calories to start, see how your body starts to respond from there. Um, and then let's say that you start to lose weight. Let's say we start you at 1600 calories and we had you maintaining at 2000. Let's say you start to lose weight for a little bit of time. From here, that's amazing. But what we know is the, the metabolism adapts, right? The longer that you stay in the deficit, the slower the metabolism will usually get, the more, um, the less weight that you'll start to lose over time, depending on how adaptive your metabolism is. So from here, now we're left with a choice. Okay. So what we can do is we can either increase your activity level, meaning we could add a couple of cardio sessions in per week, burn an additional three, 400 calories, um, per, per cardio session. However you want to gauge that or go for a certain amount of time, whatever that is, um, to increase your caloric expenditure, which is going to increase the deficit, which is going to help you continue to lose. Or if you wanted to, you could just decrease calories a little bit further. Typically I like to drop calories by anywhere from like a 50 to 150 calories per day, whenever we're decreasing to try to, um, get fat loss started up once again, if somebody's run into a plateau. So that's how I would go about looking at your situation as opposed to looking at, okay, my maintenance is 1500. So should I do more exercise? Should I add exercise or should I just go down to a thousand calories? Take into account the exercise right from the start instead, like I mentioned, um, and again, that's just going to put you in a, in a better position to be able to start at a higher caloric range. And you're going to be able to, when you run into plateaus, you're going to be able to make those adjustments that you need to make in terms of adding a little bit more exercise slash cardio or decreasing calories a little bit further, um, to avoid the metabolic adaptation and continue to, to maximize your time and maximize your efforts. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'll say, so I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to like stay directors like this, answer the question kind of have it be as is but the first thing I noticed when I read that through that whole uh, kind of question was my maintenance is 1500 if it is I wouldn't that would not be my starting point for any client like in a diet I would not make my first choice to lower it down to a thousand or add in 500 calories extra burned of like you know cardio per day I would bring those levels up before worrying about a deficit phase. I know it's not really part of the question, but just as like a FYI, just kind of safety measure for the future, 
I would, yeah, I would add that in. Agree. 100%. We do that with a lot of people as well. I had a, I have one client that comes to mind right now that it's been a bit of a struggle because she came in and she's lost like 30 or 40 pounds on her own. And she's been running into some adaptation and she's, she's down 30 or 40 pounds, but she's, she's eating. She was eating around like 1300 calories and she's no longer losing. She's just maintaining at 1300 calories, but she still has weight that she wants to lose. And so it's kind of been like a, a tug and war back and forth between the two of us of like, okay, if you continue to lose weight, like you're going to have to go down to 1200, 1100 calories, your hunger is already high. Your energy is already low. Like you have a stressed out, a stressful life with like a lot of priorities with a husband, with kids, with, uh, with your career and everything that you have going on, like continue just to decrease calories at this point is not the answer. And so, what, so what I finally talked her into doing as we're, we're going into the holiday season is looking at her her situation in more of like a six to 12 month perspective, instead of like a three month perspective, instead of thinking like, Oh, I need to be to my weight loss goal in the next three months. Like, let's pull this thing out and let's look at it from a six to 12 month perspective and do what's needed right now to put yourself in a position to actually be where you want to be in six to 12 months in a sustainable manner and not be eating a thousand calories and feeling like total dog shit just to be able to get there. Right. So what we've, what we've been doing is we've had to slowly increase her calories. So she was at 1300 calories, talked her into taking some time to optimize her metabolic rate, optimize her hormones, her hormones or biofeedback to get her into a better spot. And we've had to slowly start increasing calories. So she was at 1300. Um, we sat at 1600 calories for like three weeks as, as we only increased her to 1600 calories as well. She gained like three or four pounds, which was hard on her mentally, but like, that's kind of the only choice that we're left with is to start digging at increasing calories slowly over time, um, to get her metabolic rate going stronger, to get her energy levels back, to get her hunger back. And now that her, her body's kind of flatline and maintained at this higher intake. Now we're slowly taking her to 1700 calories. We'll sit here for a couple of weeks, as long as her weight maintains, and we'll slowly take her to 1800 if her weight slowly maintains for a couple of weeks. And we'll just continue to do that and push calories as high as possible. And hopefully her hunger is going to get better. Her energy levels are going to get better. Her training is going to get better. She might potentially even be able to build a little bit of muscle during this time and create some recomp as her body's getting more energy. Um, and then as she sat here for a while and she's feeling really good, but yet she hasn't been focused on fat loss. She's just focused on overall health. It's going to put us in a position moving forward to be able to drop her back down into a fat loss phase. And her body's going to hopefully respond at 14, 15, 1600 calories and lose weight as opposed to being maintained at 1300 calories to continue pushing things along. So just as Alex said, I think that that's a super important piece to this, that if you get caught up at 50, you're thinking your maintenance is 1500 calories. And you got to drop down to a thousand over time to keep losing like that fat loss should not be your main focus at that point. You've got to make sure that you're keeping your metabolism optimized first and foremost, or else you're just going to run yourself into issues to where down the road, just like what's happened with my client, you're going to end up in a position to where your only choice to get back to a healthy baseline is probably going to be to gain some weight. And you're going to have to go through that mental struggle to do so, to be able to increase calories, to get your metabolism, your hormones optimized, to be able to even think about sustaining a, a leaner body in the future without it completely diminishing your lifestyle as a result of it. Mm -hmm. I, I had a client in a very, very similar situation. Didn't lose quite that amount of weight, but went through a fat loss phase with me for about five, actually probably, probably like four or five months and then lost a bit of weight, felt comfortable with this kind of, you know, where, you know, where she was at. She wanted to lose a few more pounds, but it was kind of getting to the point where kind of hunger was, you know, starting to get kind of just 
I don't say like uncontrollable, but more than like it's kind of more food obsessed than you know what she's normally used to. Uh, mood started to you know becoming irritable. Social events weren't as fun. Workouts were starting to just kind of get you know bogged down. This wasn't feeling the greatest. So we decided, okay, you know we're a few pounds away. We're three to four pounds off from your goal weight. Like that's just cut it here. We can you know reverse you back up, stay here for a while, and then bring you back down at a later point. And so she went on her own, did two months, just kind of just by herself, just continue reversing, and then decided like, hey, I actually do want to lose that last little bit of fat. Can we enter back into the deficit phase? And I told her, I was like, we can try, but having spent four to five months in a deficit, it's not going to be like my first choice to drop immediately back down. Like we can try it, but as soon as you, as soon as you start feeling any sort of biofeedback dis- disturbances, like you, you need to let me, you need to let me know. And so it lasted about three, four weeks until she's just like, yeah, like, I just don't think this is the right time yeah. for me to do it. And so we went and we went into the reverse and two days later, I got an email saying, Hey, Alex, I know it's barely been two days, but I'm feeling much better in all caps. My energy is up. Mood is better. And I will, I'm able to push through my workouts again. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think like it'd be super easy. Like that shows that you're a good coach in my opinion, man, because a lot of people, would not allow their client to go through having to learn that for themselves. They just want to tell them what's going to happen as opposed to most people need to like walk through the fire to be able to understand, okay, that's a bad choice. Like I have to learn from my mistakes and learn from my experiences as opposed to you just telling them, no, you can't go back into a deficit. Like that's a bad choice. We're not, I won't allow you to do it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And then they don't allow them to. And then the client's always thinking, well, what if, well, what if, well, what if, as opposed to you tell them, yeah, this isn't my first choice. Like this isn't what I would recommend. We can definitely try it, but here are the things that we have to watch out for. And if this happens, we need to make an adjustment. So you're giving them the right expectation. You're letting them walk through the fire, so to speak. And then you're, you're showing them what to be watching for. And then when that happens, it's like a clicking point for them. Like it turns the light bulb on for them. Like, oh, he was right. Like that makes sense. Like I can't just go back down into the deficit. Like I, I tried, but as I do that, like then all of that, this negative feedback comes back. And I realize that this last three to four pounds, like, isn't as important to me as I thought it was. My health is, is much more important in the long run than just this last three to four pounds. So I think that that's super, super empowering. And that's the right way to go about coaching people too, is, is show them the negatives and positives of the choices they want to make, let them walk those choices. And then just showing them the expectations to keep in mind throughout and then helping them make those adjustments and learn for themselves so that as they go off and work by themselves, they have a much better understanding because they've been actually able to experience it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll say it's, and now like my favorite part about this whole thing is, is while my, you know, the, while the reverse diet was, you know, kind of my first option by letting her try that, letting her know what to expect and just having her experience it. Now what actually happened was the reverse diet became her idea yeah. where it was like, Hey, maybe I do, you know, I do think it's time to enter the reverse diet. So now it's not me saying, Hey, let's do this. It's the client saying, and it's just from a, like a client psychology standpoint, when it becomes your idea, now you're much more likely to be bought in and actually follow through with it versus if someone is saying, Hey, this is what, this is what you should be doing. Now go do it. 100%. I couldn't, I couldn't agree anymore. If there's coaches listening to this, that's a, that's a very valuable take-home point in terms of how to coach people in terms of not being a dictator, but being a collaborator with your clients and um, allowing them to, to make their choices, but giving them like 
teaching them along the way what what those choices are going to create, the impact that those choices are going to have and help them learn to make the right decisions on their own. They're going to be far more bought in and they're going to stick with you for a, a much longer time because they're not going to be feel, feeling like they're told what to do. They're getting a collaborative approach, which is going to make them feel much more connected and trustworthy of you. So, so yeah, I couldn't agree anymore, man. Let's move on to the next question. I think that we, we went into that one plenty. So last question that we're going to answer is from Chad. He asks, when eating in a surplus of 200 calories, at what point does that become your new maintenance? I don't have a specific answer for that one. I think it's just, it depends. It, it's just, uh, you don't really know until you try. I'll tell you, I mean, every single client of mine are 95% plus of my clients are fat loss. I'm just going to use a fat loss example, but the same thing's going to apply for increasing calories or like a, like a level of surplus of calories. I've had actually a few clients, I'm going to say maybe three or four clients who have been with me for two to three months plus who have, we made the initial like dropping calories from like their maintenance. And for two, three months, we haven't adjusted their calories one single bit. They've just continued to lose weight. And I tell my clients, like, if we're losing weight, you're still feeling good we're not going to make things more complicated just for the sake of making things more complicated. We're going to keep running it out. And like I said, we just been able to ride that out for two plus months. Their, their bodies aren't very adaptive as opposed to some people and some of my clients who need adjustments every few weeks or every, you know, every couple of weeks, it's like bodies just adapt at different levels. And part of this, the way you train your activity level will kind of dictate how long you can keep that, like surplus up. So some people like we, you notice that when you increase calories, you start this, you, you're just hotter throughout the day. Like physically you just feel like more warm because your body's be burning through more calories. Some people will notice as soon as the, you know, they get a refeed day or a, you know, high calorie day, or they go into surplus phase, they start fidgeting all day long. Some people don't have those same responses or it takes longer for them to kick in. And just depending on how your body responds, that was kind of dictate how long you can keep that same level of surplus, but you won't know until you just go through it and just monitor your progress through the weeks and through the months. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I think it's, it's very genetic based, right? Like everybody's mm -hmm. not going to adapt at the same rate. You're going to, there's some people that are going to adapt very quickly in terms of their caloric intake. Like you might be a month down the road and you're in a 200 calorie surplus at the first of the month, but now your, your metabolism has adapted and that 200 calories is now closer to a maintenance. And you're gonna have to increase calories by another 50 to hundred to keep things moving in the right direction. Uh, I have clients, just as Alex said, that, um, need those adjustments much more often. Um, but then I have, I would say like the majority of clients, like your metabolism is going to be super adaptive. I would say like the hyper responders, the super adaptive metabolisms are a little bit less frequent than people who are, um, can go for a decent amount of time before their metabolism starts to adapt. I would say that the, the people to adapt the fastest are definitely like the, the lower percentile. There's not as many of those people. Um, so it, what I would do in your situation is the way that, you know, instead of telling you like how fast I'll tell you how to understand where your metabolism starts to adapt instead. So what you're going to want to be paying attention to is you're going to want to be taking weekly averages of your weigh-ins. So you're going to want to be weighing yourself anywhere from four to seven times per week, and then taking those averages of your weigh-ins on a weekly basis. Um, and then comparing those averages to each other over time. 
And if you're in a surplus of calories, you should theoretically be gaining a little bit of weight over time, right? I typically, when somebody's in a, a, a building phase, I'm usually wanting to see them gain anywhere from like 0.5 to 1% of total body weight per average per month. The, the majority of the time, if you're losing weight, I'm looking for around like 0.5 to 1% of total body weight loss per week. When we're gaining, you're not gonna be able to gain muscle as quickly as you're going to be able to lose fat. Um, and so we want to slow down that process to um, slow down the fat gain process when in a surplus and just try to maximize as much muscle growth while minimizing as much fat gain as possible. So the rate of gain comes becomes a lot lower, right? So we're aiming for 0.5 to 1% of total body weight gain per month on average when in a surplus. So if you're gaining around that rate over time and you're taking those weekly averages, you know that you're probably on the right track. And if you are fully satiated, meaning you're not very hungry, uh, most of the time your energy levels are high, your sleep is well, your stress is low, your training is progressing over time, as well as your body weight is increasing by around 0.5 to 1% per month on average, okay, well, you're in a really good position, right? You're, you're definitely not at a maintenance level. You're in a slight surplus and you'll be gaining over time. If you ever get to a point to where you're no longer gaining that, av that average per month, um, let's say that your training's not progressing as easily, you're not feeling as recovered, your stress is a little bit higher, your hunger may be getting a little bit higher, like you're not as satiated as you were before. Well, then that means your metabolism is probably adapting and that's becoming more of like your maintenance level of calories potentially. And if that's the case, well, then you're going to have to want to increase your, you're going to need to increase your calories by another hundred, maybe 150 calories per day to get yourself back into a, a surplus of calories to ensure that you're, you're back to where your biofeedback is all in a really good place. You're back to gaining on average that 0.5 to 1% per month on average and continue to move in that direction. Again, we can't tell you exactly how fast that's going to happen because it happens to everybody at such a different rate. But if you are gauging your weigh-ins, your stress levels, your hunger levels, your progressions in your training, those are all going to tell you when your metabolism does start to adapt and when adjustments are actually going to be needed. But again, we can't tell you exactly when that's going to happen. This is going to be different. You can just make sure you're tracking all that feedback that you need to. And then on the back end of that, that's when you make the adjustments. And that's, that's what we do as coaches, right? If we could just give you straight up answers to this kind of stuff, like there wouldn't really be a need for coaching. But what we do with people is we teach them how to track all of these different um, data points that are needed to understand how your body works um, and then help you make those adjustments as they're needed and what to pay attention to, to ensure that you're making the progress that you want to over the long term. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an insight there. Do you have anything to add to that, Alex? No, I, I think that last little bit that you put in about this, like, that's like why, you know, why people get coaches. I get a lot of questions about like, well, how do I set up a fat loss phase? How do I know when to increase calories? How do I know when to like decrease? Or how do I do a, you know, a re reverse diet? Like whatever the goal is, I'm just like, you know, you can have very, you know, this kind of this blanket answer, just this clear cut answers. But there's just so many, it's just kind of like this, what if your body responds this way? What if your body responds that way that you won't really know what to do until you just kind of trial and error and just go through that yourself. And even with, I mean, I'm even honest with my clients, it's off the start. Like, I don't know how your body's going to respond. Mm -hmm. You know, the first kind of few weeks, like I need that consistency. And like, that's why I do the weekly check-ins. So if something doesn't go the right way, I can be on top of that and make the necessary adjustments. I, I'm not going to just be perfect off day one. I can use what I've you know, learned from other clients, but part of it's still too, even like it's with the current clients I have, it's still this trial and error. They just have that, you know, years of kind of this knowledge behind it to kind of, you know, make more, I guess, educated decisions. Yep. 
but it's still not ever 100% just like, hey, I know exactly what's going to make you lose weight. I know exactly how your body's going to respond. You just have to just kind of see as you go and kind of make the adjustments from there. Yeah, it's a game of just tracking data and then making educated decisions off of the data that you're presented with on the back end, right? With weigh-ins, with biofeedback, with recovery, all that kind of stuff. I, I couldn't agree anymore with what you said. Coaches don't come in and like have the exact answers to your exact questions right off of the, right off of the bat. It's a, it's a learning game with time. Everybody's bodies respond a little bit differently. We start to find different trends in different people's bodies. And then we can start to make educated decisions off of those trends that we see happening and educate you on your specific situation. But the answers are going to be so different for every single person that like, if you're listening to people who are just giving blanket answers to each question that you ask, and then you go out and trial for yourself. And that's not the answer. The answer they gave you isn't the experience that you have. Like, you know, that they're probably overgeneralizing things. And so you should be listening to people and listening to content that has a lot of, it depends in it. And you don't want like coaches shouldn't just say, Oh, well, it just depends. It just depends. Like there should be a lot of context on the back end of that. It depends and giving you like different scenarios of what that could look like. Then you know that you're probably listening to people that are looking at things from um, the right perspective and trying to help you as best as they can. But if they're just giving you blanket answers, or if they're just telling you, it always depends and not ever giving you the context um, that construes all of that together. um, You should probably be, be listening to trying to learn from different people or find different people to learn from. So, so yeah, with that, that's all three questions um, that we have for today to all the listeners. We really appreciate you guys for listening. If you are finding value from the show, the one ask that we have, obviously we don't have any sponsorships or we don't run any paid advertisements in the show or try to run any revenue or anything like that. All that we ask is that you'll just leave the show a star rating as well as a written review. Cause that's the one way for the podcast to be able to grow in terms or inside of Apple. And for um, everybody that has been doing that, I just want to tell you guys, thank you. I have gone back and looked through all of the reviews, the star ratings, the written reviews. I really, really do appreciate all of you guys for going in and, and doing that. It really does help the show be able to grow the listeners. Um, the, the average listeners to each episode are continuing to grow. We're getting more ears on this show. So I just want to tell all of you that I really appreciate you all for tuning in. If you're somebody that hasn't left the show, a, a rating yet or a review and you are finding a lot of value from here and we have helped i just ask that you would go down below and leave that for us because it really does help us continue to be able to create content over the long term so with that alex where can people find you um and then we'll close this thing up man instagram alex underscore johansson a-l-e-x underscore j-o-h-a-n-n-s-s-o-n and then just kind of any questions here on the podcast, I come on uh, bi-weekly. So if there's any of this kind of training, nutrition, fat loss, hormone, any kind of related questions, I always come on every two weeks. And so I'll kind of naturally end up getting some of those questions on here as well. So absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I just want to tell you all, thank you for listening. Have an amazing day and we will talk with you soon.